Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Luke Johnson, a former chairman of Pizza Express and Channel 4 Television. A serial entrepreneur, Johnson's managed, raised finance for and invested in numerous companies, including high street names such as Giraffe Restaurants, Feng Sushi and most recently Gale's Artisan Bakery. Johnson has combined his stellar business career with a sideline in journalism and is also a highly experienced newspaper columnist. But business is what drives him, and despite the challenges facing the UK economy, Johnson remains optimistic about the future of this country. Luke, you're well known as uh, an investor in major uh, high street brands like Pizza Express. You've been pretty critical of government policy during lockdown and particularly of the impact on the hospitality industry. Do you see light at the end of the tunnel now in terms of lockdown? You know what, Liam, despite uh, the fear and um, the concern out there, I'm optimistic for 22. I think um, uh, I can see a a positive point at which restrictions will be lifted and uh, the animal spirits of the entrepreneurs will be engaged again. To give him credit, although I've been highly critical of this government and Boris in particular, I think uh, by... uh, holding the line against more restrictions, I hope he will be proven right. I'm sure it's not easy. Um, There is this incredible safetyism in society now where um, you can't be too careful. Well, the truth is you can. An acutely risk-averse society is, in my opinion, a morbid one. And the truth of the matter is that uh, we all die and one of the cultural aspects, I think, of this difficult period is that we are being forced to have more of a reckoning about illness and death. And I'm not sure that's an unhealthy thing in a way. Obviously, we live longer than we used to, but the fact of the matter is we all die. By no means all deaths are a tragedy in reality. And if we over-sentimentalise everything, then I think we will be uh, emotionally, morally... Uh, and economically poorer for it. And I think we need a a good dose of realism. And I think, to an extent, that is what Boris is attempting now by not saying uh, we have to bury ourselves in fear constantly, Uh, we must run away and hide, we must focus on COVID to the exclusion of any other concern in life. We have to look at the 360 aspect of what existence means... And it means a lot more than just not dying. It means thinking about, for example, the age stratification of the illness. You know, I read this week that, for example, if you're over 75, you are 10,000 times more likely to die than if you're under 15. And yet by, for example, making children wear masks all day in secondary schools, we are forcing them, in a way, to pay a bit of a price to protect the very elderly. And I think after two years, the tide has turned and public opinion has shifted. Boris has noticed that. And therefore, I think the fact we are not taking the same approach as, you know, Holland and Germany and Austria and Italy and France and Spain and Compulsory so vaccinations All in Austria. All that sort Compulsory of thing. Compulsory vaccinations. I think that the, the liberal Boris Johnson is making something of a comeback. And I think that recovery 
may well be reflected in our economy and our lives, our, and indeed our well-being, over the coming months and years. I agree with a lot of that. Uh, I agree that um, Boris's bet on Freedom Day in July 2021 and his bet... Um, not following Wales and Scotland with more restrictions, albeit way short of full lockdown, uh, will be borne out and he'll generate political capital uh, from that. I share your optimism based largely on my faith in British entrepreneurs and the British workforce and their drive and, and, and skill. I do fear, though, Luke, in the coming months, a significant deterioration in the political climate based on rising inflation, cost of living crisis, rising energy bills, certainly in April when we have the combination of the energy price cap being lifted once again for households and those pre-arranged tax increases coming in. I, I agree. And the, there's you know, going to be bumps in the road. However, I think there is a lot of pent-up demand. There's a huge amount of savings. There is an awful lot of investment demand, a lot of capital sloshing around looking for a home. We are enjoying incredibly low levels of unemployment, uh, which itself is, you know, helping to put money into people's pockets. And I think there will be a recovery of confidence because, uh, you know, as I say, you can't... Entrepreneurs are irrepressible. You can't put them down. I've been astonished at how even throughout this last two years, new businesses have opened, people have set up their own business, there's been investment and innovation going on. And so, you know, I remain positive that um, there will be a good, strong economic recovery this year, despite energy prices, despite inflation. I happen to think the very worst of overall inflation has peaked. Interesting. I, I don't mean in the stats. What I mean is at the coal face, yeah. in the businesses I'm involved with, seeing price increases of products and services, I happen to think we may have seen the very worst of that. Now, it obviously depends on the course of the disease and, you know, government policies and all the rest. But I am hopeful that um, although the inflation hasn't been as temporary as a lot of people hoped and wanted, it's not a permanent new structural high level of inflation. We shall see, and I may be wrong, but that's what I'm hoping. What always interests me listening to you, and you know, you're, you're a prolific newspaper columnist, we used to share a page, didn't we, in, in the Sunday Telegraph, and yet you're somebody with a kind of journalistic platform, yet always your day job is business and serious business, investing in businesses, running businesses. What are you seeing at the business coalface at the moment, Luke, that's reassuring you and making you overall optimistic for 2022? I think businesses are remarkably resilient and adaptable and especially, you know, smaller entrepreneurial businesses. They're flexible. You know, the owners and the people running them will only ever be depressed or, or discouraged for short periods of time. And then their enthusiasm and their belief in a, in a, a bright sunlit uplands returns. And, you know, it impresses me how so many of them are navigated these really treacherous times. So, you know, if you're in the travel industry, if you're in the pub or the restaurant business, um, if you've been in the entertainment business, oh. uh, and to an extent I've got exposure to, to a number of those sectors, it's been a disaster. And yet, and yet most of them haven't got bust. Admittedly, government help has been critical. 
but also it's the irrepressible energy. It's the ability to find a way and it's their um, belief that, you know, somehow or other they will be able to cope and manage through and that the good times will return. And I think they will. I mean, if you look at the long progress of human existence, almost relentlessly things have improved in material terms. This is a temporary interruption in that journey. And we have a curious fondness for uh, catastrophe and gloom uh, as a species. But actually, we're also great self-improvers and uh, technology and human ingenuity can never be underestimated. And so I fundamentally believe that um, 22 will surprise on the upside, that we will cope with the adversity in front of us. A lot of it is very short-term and immediate, I think, and um, that uh, things will get better steadily. How do you think the business environment is for entrepreneurs like you at the moment? Obviously, COVID is still an issue, but let's hope pray, keep fingers and toes crossed that we get through COVID in the coming weeks and months. I'm talking about the fundamental business environment, the tax environment, the macroeconomic environment, the environment in terms of skills. Well, it's never easy. Um, the truth of the matter is that, you know, you'd always prefer less regulation, lower taxes uh, and, and fewer competitors. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, you make your own luck, don't you? And the reason why people go into business is to control their own destiny. And if you don't have uh, sufficient confidence in uh, you, your, yourself and the talents you employ and work with to build something impressive that, that can endure, then you should get out of the game, shouldn't you? Uh, I think we're pretty good as a nation in terms of inventing and building companies and creating wealth. Uh, and actually we're surprisingly adaptable when it comes to, you know, things like exchange rates or inflation or uh, 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 new legislation coming down the road. Uh, you know, it's not going to be without its difficulties from, you know, zero carbon to, you know, import costs rising to the consequences of Brexit, you name it. I think it depends a lot on what business you're in. So bluntly, if you're in something like travel, which has been really devastated, that's a tough road. If you've survived this far, I think you've done pretty well, and you'll probably manage from here on out, and eventually people will want to travel again and be allowed to. I think if you are in something like software, where working from home is a doddle, and uh, to a degree the growth of e-commerce e and things is to your benefit, um, you know, cybersecurity, ever greater reliance on uh, devices like the iPhone, then you're probably a winner out of this period, like the pharma industry. So, as ever, there are winners and losers, and um, those sectors will compound their advantages going forwards. And in some areas, like, for example, the pharmaceutical industry, we have real strength. Um, you know, in, in certain areas of science and technology, the UK is, is definitely still a world player. So, uh, clearly, we have to you know, invest in those sectors, back winners in those sectors. Um, I, I remain a, a, a of the view that Britain is going to do fine in the coming years. One subject we often discuss on the money is the future of the UK high street, particularly in our towns and our smaller 
cities. It's very close to the heart of a lot of our audience, Luke. We've obviously seen a long-term trend of a move away from physical retail towards online. And obviously, physical retailers can and do trade online as well. But would you advocate the introduction of some kind of tax on the big internet giants well, so you can get some kind of level playing field competition? I would prefer a reduction in rates on retail premises. So business rates, yeah, business Because rates. we tax retail property higher than virtually anywhere else in the world equivalent and it is onerous and disproportionate. Uh, and then possibly putting it onto online e-commerce players like the Amazons. Uh, there's no doubt that that is, uh, you know, helping to hollow out our city centres, which exactly. for not just economic but cultural reasons is very unhealthy. However, that isn't the only solution. I think we have to repurpose space in cities to, you know, experiential rather than pure transactional retail in a traditional sense. Uh, and I think if occupation costs via lower rates and then obviously landlords being more flexible and adaptable about uh, uh, letting property, uh, we could get to a position where space is cheap enough that you know new startups can experiment and come up with new retail formats that can work because the old traditional department stores, for example, is very tough. But the, there are new models out there that um, can deliver returns, can create jobs, and can bring life back to city centres that are challenged and. Of course, we want to see our high streets thriving, places of work and, and, and commerce and healthy. And um, government can do their bit, but ultimately, again, it's down to the entrepreneurs. You mentioned business rates. I just wanted to dwell on that for a moment because it's, it's rare that I can talk to somebody who really understands business rates on, on, on the front line to the extent that you do. This is a tax that's levied on physical assets of a business whether or not businesses have made a profit, whether or not they've even turned over any revenue, got any money through the door uh, at all. Labour say they want to scrap business rates. They haven't said how they'll raise the 30 20, billion. Yes, 26, 30, 30 billion. Billion odd quid that, a lot that, of money. that they raise. But you know, give, give Rachel Reeves a shadow chancellor credit for at least saying that she wants to tackle business rates. Meanwhile, the chancellor said he's going to have a review of business rates that's barely happened so far. How damaging is this tax on business and how would you modify it? Well, I wouldn't scrap it because I don't think they will find 30 billion elsewhere. So I think that the answer is they have to do something perhaps along the lines you've described of uh, 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 introducing an online tax which partly substitutes and reduce it. Because I think in a way, uh, you know, supermarkets, for example, you know, they've traded pretty well over the yeah. last two years. The idea that they suddenly get this, you know, windfall benefit, I, I don't really see that making <laughs> sense. So, you know, maybe smaller stores, maybe organise it via the size of the operator. I'm not sure. One of the worst aspects of business rates is that it's quite complicated in terms of calculations and things. Um, but certainly it should be cut because I think it is inhibiting the reinvention of our high streets and city centres. And, you know, as I say, I think that has an impact in the provinces disproportionately. Uh, and it's, you know, not just damaging employment and, and 
so forth, but life in cities and towns all around the country. I think that's right. You're also well, very experienced in, in, in the media sector as an investor uh, and indeed as an executive. You used to be the chairman of Channel 4 Television, uh, of course. We're already a world-class player in media. We export um, uh, hugely when it comes to film, when it comes to music. Do you think Britain can milk more from that cow, if you like? Do you think we can become an even bigger media player? Do you think media can be something that can provide you know, real mass employment rather than being a pursuit that, frankly, is largely the preserve of what some people would call the elites? Depends how you define media. If you call it the creative industries, then it is quite a big employer. Uh, and we do punch wildly above our weight. So, you know, content production, be it, you know, video or music or live entertainment or design or advertising, lots of categories, uh, we're a world-class player. Um, and I think, of course, we can do more. We're not always the very best at exploiting some of our, the properties that we invent. I think we're a very imaginative people. I think our command, bluntly, of the English language has been a great asset to us over the centuries. Uh, and I think in certain categories, for example, I would argue drama, we are preeminent. Um, I think, you know, industries like film, television, social media, etc., must do better is how I would categorise us in terms of uh, developing global players and maximising the uh, proceeds from some of these assets that um, we've invented over the decades and, and so forth. And, um, you know, if you look at, for example, most of the biggest film franchises in history, so... Um, uh, Lord of the Rings, um, Harry Potter, you know, James Bond, and so forth, an extraordinary proportion of them are British. And unfortunately, I think it's mainly US studios that make most of the money out of them. Uh, and that's not ideal. However, at least they were invented here and a great deal of the talent is um, employed in those uh, products. And, um, you know, be it you know, London Theatre Land, or um, be it our, uh, you know, television broadcasters and independent production sectors, um, you know, these are very important, not just economically and in terms of jobs, but in terms of our cultural place in the world. The BBC is obviously a huge cultural asset. You and I would both agree with that. But perhaps you feel that the BBC, given how much it does, if you like, for free, can sometimes stymie commercial enterprise in local newspapers, in the media more generally. Would you buy that argument? And what do you think should happen to the BBC as we enter, unequivocally, the digital age? It's a permanent dilemma, isn't it? Because, you know, they have this um, tax, the licence fee which, you know, is regressive and that's a very unattractive feature On television of ownership and who, yeah. you know... And even if you never I never watch, watch the television anymore. If you I'll, never watch, watch stuff the on BBC, <laughs> if you've got a laptop, you're still having to pay for it, etc. Yeah. Uh, so I think that is not ideal. However, it may be the least bad solution. Um, the BBC 
in the era of YouTube and Netflix and everything else and TikTok clearly struggles to be a truly relevant player, especially for those under the age of 30, say. Um, and that is, you know, a, a national difficulty because it is one of our great institutions. I wouldn't Agreed. deny that. Agreed. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got to always feel sorry for the Director General of the BBC because she or he has an impossible job pleasing all 70 million of us who all feel as if we're shareholders. It's never going to work, is it? You know, you're always going to get, be it, you know, music or online or news or drama or comedy or whatever it is wrong. And also the BBC has to cover more or less the full waterfront in terms of all its output. Whereas niche players like Channel 4, which I used to chair, you know, they can get away with only doing certain categories. They don't have to keep everyone happy. Should the licence fee be scrapped, Luke Johnson? Um, I think it's probably the lesser of the evils, bluntly. Whether it should be shared a bit is another question, and I always believed it should when I was at Channel 4, and a part of me still thinks that's right, because is the BBC the only organisation that should benefit from it and the only people who are fit to decide how it should be spent? I'm not sure that's true. So if there is going to be a, a tax, if you like, a hypothecated television tax... Which there is. Which there is, then... If it's not going to be scrapped, then the revenue that it raises, three or four billion quid a year at the moment, should be shared among broadcasters. I think than it go probably should. And I think the BBC is a bit greedy and selfish in keeping it all to itself. And it's very good at the political game. And so I dare say nothing we ever say will make a happening worth of difference. But the truth of the matter is that are they the only custodians who should be in charge of that, all that money? I'm not sure they are. What about Channel 4? What should happen... At Channel 4, you, I, we both have em emotional and professional connections in our past to Channel 4, of course. There's talk about it being privatised. Do you think there's a, that should happen? Do you think there might be a middle way? Uh, I think my middle way would be that Channel 4, which is a wonderful brand, um, should be uh, uh, taken public. And uh, somehow or other... So listed I think, on the stock exchange. Yeah, I think that the proceeds should go to the government... Let the market decide what it's worth. But 100% of it should be sold off? Why not? Uh, and so in that Why sense... Why not? Because shouldn't the government have a golden share? Perhaps so it they have a golden share. Some way? But I think the idea that the government should continue to own 100% effectively of both the BBC and Channel 4, two public service broadcasters, is unnecessary. And I also think once it's wholly independent and listed and able to access capital and, and grow in, in new ways, for example, owning... 100% so production companies would be a good thing for Channel 4. It would be less constrained. So I think being an independent PLC would be a good idea. For Leveraging what is an incredible brand. As, Great brand. As you rightly said. And the risk is it, it, it declines gradually and becomes increasingly less relevant because of scale and all the rest of it. Whereas if it were public and therefore able to raise money and do deals, I think it you know, could continue to grow. OK, I, I'm an economist and I know you like numbers as well, so I'm going to end this interview by asking you a nerdy question, Luke. I'm sorry to put you on the spot like this. Chancellor Rishi Sunak said at his last budget that he agrees with the Office of Budget Responsibility, which at the time was predicting 6% growth, 6% GDP expansion here in the UK in 2022. All the Chancellor's sums rest on that growth assumption, of course. Are we going to make it? I think we will, because a lot of it is recovery. 
So it isn't what I would call new growth. And the answer is 6%. It's bounce back. Yeah, 6% seems within reach to me. An optimistic note on which to end? I, I think it is, yes. Very nice to see you, Luke Johnson. Cheers. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money, at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.